Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development, and that includes physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, so parents can empower their children to thrive and really develop wonderfully. Well, um, and today's Brains and Toyland segment regards literacy development, so that really means reading and writing skills. And we're calling this segment Literacy Building Blocks from Birth, Yes, Birth, and Beyond. And we have a literacy specialist named Lauren Becker, and she's going to share some really wonderful information with all of us. So welcome, Lauren. Are you there? Yes. Hi. Okay. Hi. So can you, before we start um, in with our content, can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. So as a literacy specialist, what is that? And, and maybe even talk about your training a bit. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I do um, consider myself a literacy specialist in that um, I work with developing readers and writers. And I also work with families to help them understand strategies to assist their children because they are their children's first teachers of literacy. I teach teachers um, effective practices to implement in the classroom, and I write and present about what I observe in articles and um, materials created to assist in the development of readers. I recently became a children's book author as the opportunity arose when I found an artist to match the words of a story I had written, thus creating a picture book, The Bagel Hero. My background is um, in early childhood education, my undergraduate work, and my graduate work is as a reading specialist uh, and then uh, postgraduate work in research in um, curriculum and instruction and literacy. Okay, great. So um, you have a really nice background to give us some important information and actionable information. I think that would be great for parents. So let's start talking about literacy and, and what it what it is. What can you tell us? Okay, well, it's... It's an interesting question. I, people always say, well, why literacy um, instead of um, reading as a reading specialist? It's, it's because when we learn to read, we are using what we know about the language we speak to make sense of written symbols. And so in a reciprocal manner, we can also use written symbols to share our thoughts for others to read. So literacy is a fundamental component of a child's development. The acquisition of literacy skills is key to success in school and in future life endeavors which is why it's so important for me and why I've decided to study it. Development of literacy is a continuous process that starts at birth and is influenced to a large extent in our environment. Right. So that's a really good point. Um, so literacy, it's a term we may use in university and when we're in our academic and professional environments, but it really is a, a nice term because it's more comprehensive because we mean reading and writing um, and spelling and all these other, and, and talking and all these other general communication forms. So, and oftentimes our families don't understand that. They think that we're just really learning to read, but in learning to read, 
the components that are used to learning to read are the spoken and oftentimes even the written language we use to learn how to read. A child's written language we often go to before we actually before they actually can read. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, actually. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we went through that. And what, regarding what parents might not understand also, and sometimes other related professionals as well who are in child education, what are some common questions or maybe the most common question you find that parents ask about literacy um, and reading and writing development, et cetera? Well, I find that parents are most often uh, mystified by their child developing as a reader. And they believe that it is a, a technique, basically, that is, can be only instructed by an educator. So they, they can't understand that, you know, that they are really um, capable of assisting with this process as well. They don't understand the connection of reading, writing, listening, and speaking, as I said, and that those are all really very important parts of the process. And in addition, they don't uh, really understand strategies to work with these literacy components. So... In fairness, they, they uh, beyond not knowing the integration of those components of literacy instruction, they don't have the tools to know exactly what to do. Okay. So before we talk about possible tools that parents might use, can, let's talk first about how literacy develops um, in early childhood. And maybe we can talk a little bit about major milestones or major behaviors at certain ages that children might develop. Okay, well, it's interesting because until the 1950s, educators believed that children weren't capable of beginning the path to literacy until they reached a certain age. And then in the 1960s, uh, Marie Clay developed the Emergent Learning Theory, which posed that children begin acquiring literacy skills long before they are able to read independently. This theory um, rests on the principle that the path to literacy begins as a child learns to speak. The emergent learning theory includes five stages of literacy development in children beginning with infancy. So the very first one of those stages um, is considered, we call it the awareness and exploration stage. And this, uh, we're talking about babies and toddlers. Literacy development begins as the infant first hears the spoken word and is exposed to the difference between spoken and printed words, which they would start to see in the introduction of children's books. As the infant becomes a toddler, it is important then to begin associating the proper words with the objects in the child's world. And also, uh, children will begin to recognize letters and can associate certain letters with the sounds they make. So this is, um, these gives us clues as to where, you know, the families fit into working with their, with their babies and toddlers at this very first stage of literacy development. The second stage, we call that the experimental reading and writing stage. Um, and that would be a preschooler, and of course, um, those of us who work with preschoolers know that that is, they're really into that experimental and kind of testing things out type of stage, and at this stage of literacy development, children are learning the alphabet song and the letters to important words like their own name, their parents' names, and they're testing these things out. Parents are advised to challenge children by pointing to commercial signs and asking the children to name the letters. Children are excited to look at books at this age, and they, um, they begin to scribble letters and write their own names. So they're just really experimenting with these new symbols that they've suddenly discovered. The third stage... Um, is oh, wait, Lauren, can I, jump in for yes. one, can I jump in for one second? I just want to go back a little bit to the awareness and exploration 
um, and then which is stage one for babies and toddlers, and then sure. um, talk a little bit also about the preschool age. Something I realized, can you give us um, an example of something parents can do with their babies and toddlers in that awareness and exploration stage um, that would foster these these early literacy or maybe pre-literacy skills? Sure. Um, it's advised that parents read aloud to infants using brightly colored books, and nursery rhymes and poetry are encouraged to listen to the sounds and kinds of patterns and repetitive types of patterns in our language. Uh, As the the, uh, child becomes a toddler, it is recommended at games like for the the parent to use like what's that and what is this and pointing to an object and having children start to associate these words in our language with particular objects. Okay, great. So that's the awareness and exploration stage with babies and toddlers. How about at stage two? Uh, You mentioned experimental reading and writing for those preschoolers. Um, Maybe give us um, some examples of activities parents can do there too. Okay, well, just um, having children become, as I said, familiar with some environmental print, um, like some of the signs that we have in, in and about our communities, um, also names, what, what our names are and what they look like. I always bring in, start to bring in lots of writing tools at that point, um, all kinds of things, you know, crayons, pencils, pens, um, paintbrushes, anything that can make the lines of language um, that we call print and um, have the children, actually, as, as what we said, experiment with those tools that will, will kind of bridge the spoken language to the written language. Okay, super. That's helpful. So okay, you were starting to say there's a third stage. And then the third stage, we call that the early learning, reading, and writing stage, and that's when our children begin their formal education into kindergarten and first grade. Uh, they begin to learn using phonics. And phonics, um, just to be clear about that, phonics is the process of recognizing letter sounds and combining two or more letter sounds to form a word. And I clarify this because oftentimes many people don't know. They hear these words and they don't know what they are. Uh, Children write phonetically at this stage, so instead of spelling the word correctly, children will often write what they hear when they say the word. And we actually want that. We want to hear what the children are hearing, and we want them to be able to understand that that connection in what they say is what they can also write and read. Uh, the word picture is written as, for example, picture, P-I-K-C-H-E-R, by children in this stage. And they, under, they begin to understand the sentences and the fact that individual words are separated by spaces. This is the age where I find the most fun to work with because uh, they're taking you know, everything that's very raw, and it's actually the true transition of um, the language coming into the written form and actually making it the way we see it as real readers. So this can become very, very exciting for a parent as well to work with. And what I suggest uh, to families at home is to start to differentiate um, what I call words that match pictures and words that do not. The words that match pictures, the, the mind automatically makes a mental picture of those words, a picture in the mind. And then the other words that we used to call high-frequency words, for example, is and the and 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 of, the mind does not make a picture of those words because there are no pictures for them. So we begin to show children those are our connector words. Those connect the the picture words. 
So if we can make some cards with both of those words, differentiating them, then the children can start to make sentence structures and play with them manipulatively to construct full phrases and full sentence structures and see how the language actually works. It's so much fun. And as the so kids you, get... Yes. So let me jump in for a second. So by a picture where you might have a picture of a ball and then the word ball written under it, and they could they can see the letters, but then they could also have that image of the actual ball in their mind's eye, so to speak. Um, but those connector words like the and um, of and and, there's no picture that they can see in their mind. Um, and so if you had lots of picture cards with the words and then those maybe those function words, that the the and the of, they can start to um, put those together, is what you're saying, to play? Yes, exactly. And what's really fun, and I've done this with sometimes with kindergarten and first graders, is to give them just one set of those words and let them try to make a sentence with it, and they find out they can't. They need the other words. So that's a, a great experiment for them to understand that we need both of those kinds of words. And then they start to categorize for themselves that there are these two different kinds of words so that um, the phonics plays into some of this too and that they can sound out some of the words that have the pictures. And the other words we just know because we use them over and over in our language as, as kind of connector words. So it really works well to differentiate those. Okay, great. So maybe give us one activity you said this is the most fun uh, age group for you. What's, what's a favorite activity you have to do? Well, that favorite activity is with the cards. The kids absolutely love that. And they say play for hours moving those cards around and making different kinds of sentences. Um, the other thing you can do is after reading a story is actually have the children pull out the words that match pictures. Um, we call that a picture walk. And a picture walk is actually discussing with the children on each page what's happening in a picture and then associating some of those pictures with words at the bottom of the page or wherever they might be on the page that actually match those pictures. The children are mesmerized that those words really do connect to the pictures on the page. And in early, um, in early reading, the, the types of books that you'd be working with children with, they would automatically have those words. So it's really a cool uh, thing to see on the children's face when they can they see that these words that they think are something that only adults can read, they actually can read as well now. Yeah, that starts to become a magical time for them, I would think. So again, these are these are activities that you can do with kindergartners and and first graders in that stage three of of early um, learning to read and write. Right. So um, how about how about stage four? And then stage four is called the transitional reading and writing stage. Uh, this occurs in usually second and third grade. And at this time, we really, uh, this is a stage where children really are beginning to show some independence with their reading. They're beginning to understand um, the importance of what is written. And reading comprehension improves at this stage. And I, I mention improves because uh, there's a misconception even in edu with educators that I work with that the beginning stages of, of, of reading and, and writing, we're really only teaching the phonics and that the children are really just learning to decode. But I, I really stress that the comprehension is just as important because reading is understanding what you read. It's not just, it's not just calling out words. So we really want children to know that there's understanding from the very moment that they associate these pictures and this written language with with um, with the whole of a story. So we really want them to understand that what's going on is telling something. It's not just word calling. So what I say in this transitional reading and writing stage is it is, it is an extension of comprehension in that 
you're not just reading literal text that talks about what's happening on each page, but there's actually more into problems that occur in a story and solution. And so we're working more with the children and really discussing and chunking the text and talking about what's happened here and making predictions about what might happen next. And again, um, we want uh, families that work with their children to when they're, even if they're reading aloud, to stop in the reading and really begin to talk about what's happening and, and generate some thinking about uh, what's going to happen next and throughout the text, even when it comes to the end of the story, and then talking about the all of it. This, this language and this talking through the story really builds the comprehension. Right. And I, I think um, now we're talking about stage four, and that's talking about second and third graders grossly. Um, and our show really focuses on that birth to five. But these are things I think parents can also do at those younger ages, maybe reflect a little on the story. It's a nice way for parents to model language for their children and elicit some language so they can practice too. Um, maybe not as sophisticated as you might with a second or third grader. Um, but um, is that something you can uh, see parents uh, doing as well? Absolutely. And just to get into those habits of what a reader does, with our, we have, you know, with, the, with our common course, our state standards now, um, there's a focus on comprehension to the extent of um, really reading for understanding in a, in a deep way and really um, having the understanding come from the text so that what, you, what you're bringing, what you're saying that the text is about, you, have, you can really um, verify in the text itself. And so we're talking about something called close reading where we're really, really using the text to defend what we've said about something. So that is absolutely a time when the child is even that very young to have the kids look back through the pages and talk about what they're seeing there and to have a grand conversation about it and to really get their thinking about what might be taking place directly related to those pictures and those beginning words and those very, you know, early texts. Right, right. Um, Okay, Sue. Um, How about – oh, go ahead. So then the fifth stage is really going to be beyond um, probably your your viewing audience here, your listening audience, and that would be um, stage five, which is really where we have competent reading and writing, and that would be fourth grade and beyond. We we expect that children at that stage are really independent uh, with their reading, and they they have some what we call – some lifelong skills that hopefully we have uh, we have put into them where they not only can read, but they want to read. They choose reading as uh, something that they do like we do, that we they do kind of as a natural course of events. They pick up a newspaper in the home. They pick up a book that they're interested in reading. They read in the car going to and from places. They might sit in a doctor's office and pick up what, what there is to read there so that they really are demonstrating what we consider to be a proficient reader. Okay. So we really want all of our kids to become proficient readers and get to that really nice competent reading and writing stage that you mentioned. So so we make sure that they are on track along the way. What What might a parent see in a child's behavior to suggest that their literacy skills aren't developing as they should? They are or not? 
if they're not, like what would be a little red flag in a child's behavior, um, you know, from uh, infancy up? What might parents see that could be a red flag to them to say, you know, my child may have literacy skills, reading skill problems down the road? Right. Well, basically, they're not going to be demonstrating some of the behaviors that we've discussed in each of these stages. That's not to say that you would not, that you're going to see everything in stage one that I described or everything in stage two. Sometimes that might be a little bit later. It might occur a little bit later developmentally, or maybe the child might be precocious and it might occur a little earlier. But having said that, if we are going through those first couple of stages of, you know, early literacy that we discussed, maybe stages one through three, and we're not seeing some of these behaviors that I discussed occur, no interest in books, no turning up the pages, no matching words to pictures, um, not understanding how the words go together to make language, to be spoken, read, and written, um, you know, not not copying words that they can see and, and, and being able to restructure those, uh, then I think that we would there would be a call for some kind of further um, further further discovery as to what's going on. Okay, and they could contact their school officials, their teacher, perhaps um, about having that investigated further. Right. I think if it happens in the very early stages, they might even want to consider. Uh, to uh, talk to it, a speech and language pathologist. They would talk, you know, about those first that the language that's that's being processed at a very early age and the development of language, um, which which actually is a precursor for these reading and written language skills, as you know. And uh, and then as they get into uh, the formal um, education, then then we might want to have the school uh, folks that you know look look and see what's going on in the classroom and and what the teacher thinks about um, the child's development. Right, and I'm, I'm actually a speech-language pathologist. <laughs> right. And so, yes, that I'm would be, help. especially yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so especially right. if your child is not in school yet, um, a speech-language pathologist um, would be a person to ask, and parents could go and access resources through their pediatrician to ask for referrals to have an evaluation if a child is not progressing as they should right. in their speech and language development and their overall communication and their ability to learn at a good rate on par with other children right. their age. So, and then right. I, always suggest, I always suggest, you know, of course, with any of this, to, to it's always a good idea to seek out the, the advice of the child's pediatrician who would really understand developmentally if there, if there seems to be a really significant delay. Okay. Yeah, very good. The, the pediatrician is always a nice go-to person for, for those further referrals and those initial questions. Yeah. So what? Um, let's talk a little bit about what parents might be surprised to learn about literacy as, as their children develop. Well, I find that um, what, and, and especially um, not in the parents of children, but also educators um, that work with children, they're very surprised to to learn the influence of the environment on the development. You know, there's been studies done um, regarding the lack of print, for example, the lack of environmental print uh, in in a child's development. There there are um, areas of the world where there's very little environmental print, very deprived areas at, where we might go into a town and not even see, you know. Uh, signs or we might not even see store on the store or stop on a stop sign 
and these these particular environments are really um, they really can cause delays in the development of understanding how language plays out in our world. Um, so that is very important. And having said that, um, let's you know when we talk about environment, we're, we can talk. We're talking about the home environment. So you know we have situations where, especially today in our fast-paced world, where you know we don't even have time to have a conversation with our children. One parent said to me, the only time she really has a chance to talk with her child is in the car. You know, going to and from someplace because there's just we're so busy in our lives now as far as all the different activities that we do, um, including education, that we just find ourselves, you know, we're not having that sit around the dinner table chats anymore. And um, this is really something where we find, um, I'm sure you see it in your practice as well, where we're finding kind of a decline in extensive language development, which influences the all of it and influences um, the articulation in language, it, it, it influences the ability to start to write, the ability to start to read this language, um, the ability to have time to read and kind of connect that with the spoken language. So that is, that's huge, <laughs> um, that, that conversation it, in our environment, yes. Yeah, no, it is all huge, and the earlier we start, exposing children to good experiences, the better off they'll be down the road. And that's that's part of why we started the show was to bring this information to parents in these early years so that they can really make nice informed choices of the types of activities that they do. Of course, life always happens, as I say, and it does get hard to schedule family time and time at the dinner table and time to read together. But that environment, as you say, really, really does influence how they grow, and in these early years, what they what they experience in these early years is really going to set the stage for how well they do as adults and then across their lifespan. Absolutely. So I would say, as literature, as literacy rich as you can make the environment, the better. You know, writing on the, you know, writing notes all on a board to each other, you know, rooms, so every room should have reading materials in it, um, all kinds of things like that. And, I, again, I know with all of the technology and, you know, all the visuals that our children have um, at their disposal, that this is something that um, is, uh, you know, is a challenge. But having said that, it really is so important because unless you're, unless you're exposed to that, you're really not, it's going to be foreign when the child comes into the school. It really is. Yeah, and you know what, Lauren, I'm so glad you brought up technology um, because what I think a lot of people don't realize, and there's still a lot of research to be done, is that when we're reading print on paper versus print on an iPad or one of those other electronic devices, we're engaging different areas of our brain. So it's not the same. And what some of the, the literature is suggesting is that you don't comprehend and retain as well when you're reading in that electronic medium, when you're reading that screen, that you're better off um, in terms of remembering and learning looking at that written, um, well, it's all written, but looking at that paper document. Um, so that's, that's something important to consider too because our life is so now, we're so bombarded right. with all this electronic visual information that how we learn and how our children are going to learn across their lifespan, we may have challenges that we we are we haven't uh, fully realized yet. 
And that's the other, that brings in the other item that I find often surprises um, parents as their children develop, and that is changes along the way. You know, a child might appear to be developing one way uh, as they, in, in, in following in the natural stages of development that I've talked about, and then there, there looks like there's a glitch in the road. You know, I had a conference with a parent just the other day whose everything has been going just right until the child became a fourth grader, and now the child seems to be declining in comprehension in the area of reading, and the, the family is very concerned. But it's a very, very natural kind of phenomenon to have an intermediate student kind of decline, and the reason for that is motivation. You know, there's other pieces, obviously, and, I'm, you know, your show discusses this with there's, it's the whole of the growth of a child that comes into this as well. We can't ignore all the other areas of emotional and physical and social that come into also the development of literacy. Those also affect, you know, you're talking about a human being. So we're not just talking about a robot that goes through these stages. So all these other, you know, all these other factors come into the development of literacy. So when a child's going through an intermediate stage and they become a fourth and fifth grader, you know, it's, it might not be cool to read the way that they were beginning to read. And so it might, and, it, and it's also something that there's so many more other things to do out there, like we just talked about, that it's just, it's not the thing to do anymore. So it becomes a decline in what was such a cool thing, and, and all of a sudden we don't care about it anymore. So what I spoke to the parent about was exactly what I'm going to say here, that then, then the task is, or not really the task, but actually the idea to, is to motivate the child and to really try to find something that is of interest to the child at that point. Is it that they're, that they're really turned on to sports? You know, would they enjoy a sports series, or would they enjoy reading maybe, you know, a type of uh, periodical that talks about sports? So you really want to turn into our kids at that point and say, who is this child that's developing here, and what might interest them um, in the area of, of, of literacy that I can turn them on to? Oftentimes, it's a book series that, that, that the kids turn on to at that age. So what I'm saying here is that there's a lot of other factors that come in to development and literacy as well as anything else, and that these changes in the kind of smooth road that the parents is used to thinking it's going to happen, it doesn't always happen, you know. Right, that's so true. I've I've seen pictures of what you think the journey will be, and one picture shows a straight line, an arrow from point A to point B, and then the second caption is what really happens, and it's this enormous squiggly line from point A to point B, and that's going to happen in lots of areas of our lives. So we should expect there will be changes along the way. And, and like you said, and like the show talks about, there are five areas that we really want to look at, those the physical, the intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, what could be playing in here that might be uh, precipitating some change? Um, yeah, that's a good point. Thanks so much. Now, um, let's look. Vocabulary is really so important. Um, and reading, um, obviously, you need good vocabulary. So can, can we talk a little bit about that relationship? Absolutely, and of course, there's there's a body of research that suggests a correlation between vocabulary and comprehension. So, typically, as a reader becomes more proficient, they are gaining more vocabulary. So, it's kind of a reciprocal relationship. Those who read have higher vocabulary, and you know, you you gain that vocabulary through reading. Um, that's that's the vocabulary that you might have 
through um, spoken language in your environment is uh, something that is kind of the baseline. And then the more you read, the more the vocabulary is built. So, and then, of course, comprehension, because when you read varied text, you're kind of learning the language of different genres and different um, disciplines. And so you are really gaining vocabulary in all these areas. So my recommendation would be is to read lots of different things. You know, don't get stuck in just reading um, to your children and having them read just one, uh, one dose of something, whether it be just stories, um, but having them read a variety of different genres of literature. And then even nonfiction, a different um, text structures of nonfiction so that they can really get a really wide variety of, um, of different types of written language as well as the vocabulary that's specific to it. And this will help when the student becomes a proficient reader and often and goes off to middle school and to higher level reading. We find that, that we talk about this change. We find that students that that transition over from middle school to high school even they really are challenged with some of this uh, textbook reading, and I'm sure you see it in the colleges when the students come in. You know, a student who was a wonderful reader all of a sudden cannot comprehend textbook reading, and it's because they have not been exposed to a variety of text structures. So even at a very young age, we want children to see that books can look different, that, you know, the writing in a text can be very, very different across text. Right, right. Um, and it just shows, I guess, how important really that literacy is across everything everything you're doing. And um, I, what about exposure for younger children, different types? Um, there's little babies and toddlers are pretty much going to have those picture books, but um, maybe different. Um, is there anything you can talk to to that age range regarding um, variety there? Well, actually, the picture books. Uh, quote unquote, the picture books are really good picture books. They are really used as as high a level as all as adults. Um, the picture book that I actually wrote was 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 purpose purposely written written for that. A good picture book is really the marriage between the picture and the text, and it's not at a, it's not at a, at a very um, young level. Actually, the pictures are to be discussed at length at a very high level, and I was just about to say that um, as far as language is concerned with vocabulary, we really don't want to dummy down the language. So when we're having these conversations with young children, we really want to use language that is good words. You know, I, I always say to the kids, I call them great sentences. There's a difference between a sentence and a great sentence. There's a difference between something that just tells about something and something that really gives great description about something. And so we really want to have our children, when they're looking at these picture books with us, have some really wonderful, deep language discussions about, um, about what's going on in the text. And picture books that are um, written well really avail themselves of the opportunity to do that, for families to really do that, to really talk about what the artist, why the artist drew the picture this way, um, even the technique of the artist, why did they choose to, to you know, um, create the book like this? We have some texts that are only done in two colors. Why did the artist choose to do that? What was the meaning behind that? How did that relate to the message of the text? And what is the message of the text? Is there a lesson in it? Um, so really, uh, these, these 
picture books are wonderful. The other uh, genre I would suggest are fables. I think fables are absolutely wonderful for vocabulary development and comprehension. The thinking behind what goes on and the character development in fables are at a very, very high level. And they're quick to read. They're enjoyable for children because oftentimes the characters are animals, which are part of a child's world. And they really teach some very valuable lessons, which I think talking about those five intersecting pieces of child development, as far as moral development, they're excellent. Yeah, um, those are really good points. And another good point you brought up that I wanted to um, address, and I don't think we have time to do it here, but that not all books are created equal in terms of how well they are written for children for them to develop good language and communication skills, good reading skills. So that's a question maybe for another show is to help parents look at a text, look at a, a children's book and decide, is this well-written? Is this going to help achieve the goal of helping my child be a better reader, a better communicator, a better learner? And not just the text, but the pictures. How much, how many colors, how few colors, how realistic or not, um, if they are drawings versus photographic kind of pictures. I imagine those are all things parents would want to consider when they're selecting items for their children to read. Absolutely. It's a whole another discussion. <laughs> yes, but you're right. It's, it's, it's right. And that's, that's what the difference is between, you know, we, we as educators and parents, really, really, we're the ones to bring the wonderful uh, text into our children's lives. And that's why, as an educator, I, when I work with in, a, in the buildings, I always stress that we teach with what I call authentic text. You know, most school systems work with published text for instructional use. I don't do that. I work with authentic text, so real reading is real reading. You know, we want readers to learn how to be readers because of the fact that they're doing the same kind of reading as what they did on the lap of their parents. So this is the kind of thing that we would like to have brought into an educational environment. Can you give a more clear example? I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that authentic text. Well, we're talking about actual text that we would read to our kids or we would read to ourselves not in, in, instead of published text that has actual, um, it's kind of manipulated text so that a child learns to read patterns on every page. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's text that is phonetically based so that a child learns, you know, phonic, phonic-based, you know, types of patterns on different pages. It's not, it's not that way. It's an actual story or an actual fable, or an actual poem. Um, it's, it's what we call regular literature. It's authentic literature. It's written by a, an, an author for reading. It's not written by a publisher for instructional use. Okay. Okay, so there's a so different type example, of... It's not highly controlled Rock. like a... Hmm? It's, it's, yeah, it's not vocabulary controlled. For example, Little Red Riding Hood, <laughs> or, you know... The three, you know, the three, the three Billy Goats grew We want things that were really written for literature. They're, they're real literature. They're not written for schools to use for instructional use. Now, are schools going to use those? Yes. But, again, we want to get away from some of that and teach teachers and parents how to work with text to teach their children how to read authentically. And this, this you know, is, is very, very important because – Otherwise, the kid thinks that reading at home and learning and reading with mom and dad and grandmom 
et cetera, is different than reading in school. And oftentimes, and I've had children come out and say this to me, um, I, well, I, I, don't, I don't like to read in school. I, it's, I, I like to read at home, but I just don't like to read in school because it's different. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it really, we really don't want to make it that different. Right. Right. I hear you. Okay. Um, thank you. That helped me. <laughs> I hope it helped anyone else who might have had a question. But let's let's talk a little bit more about some of the tutorials that you've written for families and, and, and communities that you've worked with. I know you have one, I think, that's called We Can Read. Uh, maybe you can give us a little overview of, of what that's about. Okay. Well, it really is related to what I was just talking about, and it was the reason why I wrote it. Because I went into schools and found this disconnect between reading and what we know. And again, remember, the, the, le- the, the goal is what we said in stage five is to create lifelong readers that choose to read. So having said that, we are finding many communities that don't have that. And the reason is all the things we've discussed that are important are not occurring. You know, non-literate environments, um, text that is put into a school that is artificial and it just allows um, populations of people to become functionally literate and not really un- understand the joy of reading and really becoming a, a, a critical reader. And what the International Reading Association says in, in their children's literacy rights, and they've written rights of children to become literate, one of them is that children have a right to reading instruction that involves parents and communities in their academic lives. And so having said this, I wrote this tutorial as a consultant um, for a nonprofit um organization in Baltimore City and called it We Can Read, and it is a research-based tutorial model designed to engage volunteers in the community to help their children improve their reading skills so that they ultimately um, have this, this profound literacy in adulthood. And it's unique, the tutorial. It's unlike any other because it was designed with the premise that a child's community is the first and best teacher of reading. And in addition, um, the program uses what we know about good reading instruction as far as having a certified specialist involved in the building. Um, the tutors receive one-on-one training from, their, from the reading specialist. Um, the tutoring sessions are structured and they contain elements that the tutor learns and then the students learn about what reading is you know, day after day after day. Uh, the tutoring is intense and consistent, so... The students receive it on a, on a regular basis, and um, the assessment is ongoing so that we really are understanding um, where students are going with it. But primarily, it uses authentic text. So what I did was I chose um, text in four modules, everywhere from emergent readers all the way from students who are what we were talking about in stage one of literacy development, who are just beginning to start to speak and are starting to match Um, verbal um, words with print and verbal words with pictures, those types of books, all the way up to a student who is getting into the the ending stages of literacy, which would be your second and third and fourth graders who are really becoming more independent with reading. And I have four modules, and the text moves gradually from, um, from module to module so that the child is constantly successful, and they're just missing a couple of things in each in each text as they move forward. And the tutor is trained to work with the child on a three-day sequence 
where they do the behaviors of a reader, and the child and tutor learns these behaviors, which are basically taking a picture walk, talking about the pictures and text on day one, and then actually doing a real reading of the text when they've already had familiarity with it on day two, and then on day three, actually discussing the text at length and doing a follow-up kind of activity that extends the comprehension of the text. And in addition to that, when we work with groups of students in this, we do what we, we do what we call a buddy read, where we have two children together read the text, and one child assists the other with reading strategies that are taught. So it, it, there's a lot to it, but primarily it deals with teaching communities how to teach their children to read because they are the first. They are the first and the greatest teachers of reading. So it's wonderful. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, that that it that is so true. What you say regard to communities, um, it is so important. I love the idea of what you've just described. What what I don't know is how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to bring this to their communities or to their school systems. Um, do do you have a website or an email address? And I could even, if you want to email that to me, I could always put it on the website for the show and for this yes, episode. A, my my website is, is, is under construction now because of the new children's book that I just wrote, but it would be easiest right now to give you my email, which I will um, share with you so that you can put it on the website for parents to access. I would love to work with communities. I have... The tutorial in many different communities. I have it even as far out as South Africa, which I had the privilege of going to as a literacy educator to work with communities there. So they do have it in some of the schools there. Oh, fantastic. So um, do you want to read it aloud now in case somebody has a pen and can write it down? Certainly. The email that, that would be most readily um, accessible for me would be always a L W A Y S L J and the number two and the letter U, so always L J two U at Yahoo dot com. Okay, so that's always L as in Laura, J as in John, two U as in unicorn <laughs> at Yahoo dot com. And like I said, I will put that on the website. So parents and educators and other interested parties can contact you there. But we'll be looking forward to the relaunch of your website uh, so we can hear also more about the book that you've just published called The Bagel Hero. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, I would love to. It's a very good story. It's a, a great story about how it came about, I believe, just as good as the story itself. I wrote a story about my grandfather coming to the United States from uh, Russia in the early 1920s. I wrote the story about 10 years ago and put it in a box thinking it's just a cute story and really didn't do much with it, um, as busy as we all get. And I, as, chance, as fate would have it, I met up with a, an artist two summers ago who lives in Cape May, and she uh, had an opportunity to stay over a weekend with her, and her artwork in her home um, just rung something inside of me that said this would be the perfect person um, to draw pictures of the story that I wrote about about my granddad and just her pictures of her family 
et cetera, were just really exactly what I had pictured in my mind when I wrote the story. And so um, I was brave enough after a couple of days to to contact her and uh, and ask her if she would um, illustrate the story. And she said she had never done anything like that before, but she would read the story. And when she read the story, she said, "I just I could smell the bagels in the street, so I will do it." <laughs> and so she. It took her a summer, but she painted 20 paintings of the story. And this is not a traditional way to go about um, story publishing. I, I'm around a lot of storytellers and, and, the, and, and children's literature for all the years of my career, so I know that this is not the traditional way of going about things. But then again, I don't usually go, things, <laughs> go about things in a traditional way. So it really is what picture books are, though. It's interesting that that doesn't doesn't usually happen this way because it really is the marriage between text and illustration. So I got the name of an editor from another friend of mine who is an author, and um, you cannot go to, to a big publisher by yourself. You cannot be an independent unknown and go to a big publisher. It just it doesn't work that way. So you have to have your text go to an editor. And so I took my paintings from Linda Chambers, who is my illustrator, and my story and took it to uh, this editor, and she loved it, and she said that it was just a wonderful marriage of story and, and illustration. And and so the rest is basically history. The story is about um, my granddad is a little seven-year-old um, selling bagels in this small town going across Romania and um, Kiev and moving towards the boat that actually took him to America, um, and in the little towns that they traveled through, he actually sold bagels in the street. And so it's based on that truth. Uh, but in the story, uh, my granddad actually becomes a hero because he does more than, than sell the bagels. So I will leave the secret of the story to those that um, would like to read it. It is available now in paperback on Amazon. And the hard copies we expect to be in within another 10 days. That's fantastic. And what who's who's the population of reader, would you say? What age group? Uh well it can be told to a um you know, it can be told to a six or seven year old, it can be told to a early elementary school student and then on up. I mean I think I have many adults that have read it and have really actually enjoyed the story and have related to um other family that have immigrated from other countries in their in their families. And uh, just, um, you know, the story itself is, is kind of a very charming little story about a boy who, um, who really uh, understands how he can, he can be a hero in his own right, even at that very young age within his community, which is, I think is important for the children to understand that even in their little world, they can be very, somebody very special in, in, in a big world. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. So we're we're wrapping up um, the our talk here and coming to the end of our show, and we always like to end by asking our guests to tell us their five fabulous facts for families, and it's essentially the guests' favorite tips like that they like to share. So, would you tell us what your uh, favorite things are to share with families so they can foster great literacy skills in their kids? Certainly, and uh, some of these I've mentioned, but this will be a nice way to summarize. Um, the first is to provide access to lots of reading material, as I discussed, including books, newspapers, and magazines. Just 
anything and everything um, that we can read and talk about should be available to our children in our homes. Um, the second is to make frequent visits to the library. Uh, the library is still a wonderful resource for all kinds of the latest and greatest material out there to be read. And on, on that note, when we get to the library, we want to really make sure that we let our children choose their book uh, because the, the idea of choice is very, very important um, so that we can try to direct our children um, and understand our children as to what their likes are with regard to reading, um, which, is, which is just so important. And they feel empowered by making their own choices. And then the third tip would be to read aloud together every day in whatever language you feel more comfor most comfortable. Um, to ask questions while you're reading aloud, before, during, and after reading, and to call attention to new vocabulary, and to refer back to the text to answer questions and revisit events. Have your child think critically about what you have read, thinking about characters, plot, and personal connections. And one way to help your child handle more challenging books is to read aloud. So even when our children can't read a book, the most wonderful way to get them to want to read these books is to read aloud to them. And reading aloud can also help reluctant readers enjoy books and gain confidence. So even if the child can read one, wor one word or one line on the page, they're feeling so excited to read a book that, um, that the family has read with them. And then the, the fourth uh, tip would be to be a role model yourself. And we really haven't discussed this too much, but, you know, when, when we see somebody, when we talk about something, it's one thing, but when we do it, it's something else. And so for us to be readers and writers ourselves and for our children to see that is so, so important. And I tell um, teachers that even in the classroom. It's one thing to instruct it, but it's another thing for, for our children to see us, you know, just enjoying to read and write so well. And for us to and for the children to see the struggles that we have sometimes with that and the, and, and, and the different processes that we go through with that. For example, I have children that think they can never put down a book if they don't like it anymore. And I said, why not? If you don't like the book, put it away. And get, there's billions of books to look at out there. And we all do it. We find a book we don't like and we put it away. So for them to really see the real behaviors of a real reader and a real writer in us. And then the final um, the final. Uh, suggestion is to engage in grand conversations. I think that the conversation we're having today is invaluable, and the conversations that we have every day with colleagues, friends, our children, etc., is just underrated. I don't think we do enough talking anymore. <laughs> I, think that we, I think the conversation has really um, lost its, its value, and it's just so incredibly value, valuable on so many levels. So to engage in grand conversations with our children um, at every chance that we get is just is just wonderful. Yeah, that, that's so true. And I, I know we had mentioned before in some of our um, conversations offline that your STEM is engaging in something called American Education Week. Uh, I think it's this week. And it sounds like you'll be having some grand conversations where parents come in and get to witness the educational process. Is that the case? That's certain. I will be. I will be having grand conversations whenever I can <laughs> with everybody <laughs> and anybody. Yes. Great, great. So I hope. Um, I hope that. Um, that this was a grand conversation for our listeners, and we might have generated some questions for you that you'd like to have answered. So we always welcome 
people to write into the show to send us questions that they have that they'd like answered or perhaps they have suggestions for show topics that they'd like us to address. So anyone who's listening, please feel free to send those comments and questions to info at kidsa-to-z.com. That's info at kidsa-to-z.com. And you can always access the show anytime here on Blog Talk Radio or on our website, which is kidsa-to-z.com. And um, I guess that's it for now. Laura, thank you. Um, thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Lauren. Thank you so much for being with us. And um, we'll have to get you back on to answer some of those other questions I had, like that, the well-written picture books, et cetera. But um, that's it for now. So everyone, thanks for listening. This is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. Thanks so much. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.